the Apostle Paul told uh, Timothy, who was a young pastor, to give himself to the public reading of Scripture. So it's pleasing to God when we take time and hear the Word of God read to us. So this is a longer passage. I know it goes on to a third page, but um, I think the Lord has some really uh, uh, benefit and truth for us this morning. So Exodus 39, hear the word of the Lord. From the blue and purple and scarlet yarns, they made finely woven garments for ministering in the holy place. They made the holy garments for Aaron, as the Lord had commanded Moses. Aaron was the high priest. He made uh, the ephod of gold, blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen. Uh, the ephod was a, like a, an apron. It looked basically like an apron. And they hammered out gold leaf, and he cut it into threads to work into the blue and uh, purple and the scarlet yarns and into the fine twined linen in skilled design. They made for the ephod uh, uh, attaching shoulder pieces joined to it at its two edges, and the skillfully woven band on it was of one piece with it and made like it of gold, blue, and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen as the Lord had commanded Moses. Now you'll notice the repetition of uh, as the Lord commanded Moses throughout this passage. They made the onyx stones enclosed in settings of gold filigree and engraved like the engravings of a signet according to the names of the sons of Israel. And he set them on the shoulder pieces of the ephod to uh, be uh, stones of remembrance for the sons of Israel as the Lord had commanded Moses. He made the breast piece in skilled work in the style of the ephod of gold, blue, and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen. So the breast piece was a, a cloth pouch that was on the, the, the breast of the high priest that had 12 stones that represented the, all the people of Israel. So that's what a priest did, is represented the people of Israel before God. It was square. They made the breast piece doubled, a span its length and a span its breadth when doubled. And they set in it four rows of stones, a row of sardius, Topaz and carbuncle was the first row. In the second row, an emerald, a sapphire, and a diamond. In the third row, uh, jacinth and uh, agate and uh, amethyst. In the fourth row, a barrel, an onyx, and a jasper. They were enclosed, enclosed in a settings of gold filigree. There were 12 stones with their names according to the names of the sons of Israel they were like signets, each engraved with its name for the uh, 12 tribes. And they made on the breastpiece twisted chains like cords of pure gold. And they made two settings of uh, gold filigree and two gold rings and put the two rings on the two edges of the breastpiece. And they put the two cords of gold in the two rings at the edges of the breastpiece. They attached the two ends of the two cords to the uh, two settings of filigree. Thus they attached it in front to the shoulder pieces of the ephod. Uh, then they made two rings of gold and put them on the two ends of the breast piece on its inside edge next to the ephod. And they made uh, two rings of gold and uh, attached them in front to the lower part of the two shoulder pieces of the ephod as its uh, seam above uh, the skillfully woven band of the ephod. 
And they found the breast piece uh, by its rings, through the rings of the ephah with a la- uh, lace of blue so that it should lie on the skillfully woven band of the ephod and that the breast piece should not come loose from the ephod as the Lord had commanded Moses. He also made the robe of the ephod woven all of blue. And the, the opening of the robe in it was like the opening in a garment with a binding around the opening so that it might not tear. On the hem of the robe, they made pomegranates of blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twine linen. They also made bells of, of pure gold and put the bells between the pomegranates all around the hem of the robe between uh, the pomegranates, a bell and a pomegranate, a bell and a pomegranate, around the hem of the robe for ministering as the Lord had commanded Moses. They also made the coats woven for fine linen for Aaron and his sons. So you notice there's also instructions for the other priests, not just Aaron the high priest, but also his sons, who were the other priests. And uh, the turban of fine linen and the caps of fine linen and the linen undergarments of fine twine linen and the sash of fine twine linen and of blue and purple and scarlet yarns embroidered with needlework as the Lord had commanded Moses. They made the plate of the holy crown of pure gold and wrote on it an inscription like the engraving of a signet, holy to the Lord. And they tied to it a a cord of blue to fasten it on the turban above as the Lord had commanded Moses. Now we're going to come into a section where we'll have a summary of all the things that have been made over the last uh, few chapters. And just one thing to point out you know, we would not know anything about ancient Israel's worship unless we had passages like this. So they feel very detailed, but it actually gives us a a clue into what God's worship was like so long ago. And so here's a list of all the items that have been created. Uh, Thus, all the work of the tabernacle of the tent of meeting was finished, and the people of Israel did according to all that the Lord had commanded Moses. So they did. Then they brought the tabernacle to Moses, the tent, And all its utensils, its hooks and its frames, its bars, its pillars and its bases, the covering of tanned ram skins and goat skins, and the veil of the screen, the ark of the testimony with its poles and the mercy seat, the table with all its utensils, and uh, the bread of the presence, the lampstand of pure gold and its lamps with the lamps set and all its utensils and the oil for uh, the light, the golden altar, the anointing oil, and uh, the fragrant incense. And the screen for the entrance of the tent, the bronze altar, and its grating of bronze, its poles and all its utensils, the basin and its stand, the hangings of the court, its pillars and its bases, and the screen for the gate of the court, its cords and its pegs, and all the utensils for the service of the tabernacle, for the tent of meeting, the finely worked garments for ministering in the holy place, the holy garments for Aaron the priest, and the garments for his sons for their service as priests, According to all that the Lord had commanded Moses, so the people of Israel had done all the work. And Moses saw all the work, and behold, they had done it as the Lord had commanded. So had they done it. Then Moses blessed them. Grass withers, and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, uh, we pray that now as we uh, attend to your holy word, that you would take these ancient words and by your Holy Spirit, you would apply them 
into our life, into our world as you're, you, the, the people of God here in Bellingham in, in 2020, and that we might live lives that honor and glorify you and know your grace. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well, uh, today we are talking about the value and dignity of human beings. And uh, which, of course, is a relevant topic. We are in uh, an election week, and all of our debates about politics ultimately should come down to that we really think that human beings are valuable and worth dignity, and we want freedom, and we want welfare for, you know, good goodwill for, all, for as many human beings as possible. And so uh, whether you care about, you know, racism and the dignity of people of every color and ethnicity, or whether you fight for the rights and dignity of unborn human beings, it all comes from the value of human life. And uh, we can, uh, and the question is, can we answer clearly why do humans matter? Why are humans valuable? Well, we live in a, a secular culture that increasingly is having difficulty answering the question, why are human beings valuable? And uh, the reason for that is because ultimately the only way to establish that human beings are, are valuable is because of the transcendent truth of God, our creator. And so even the Declaration of Independence in our country, it says that, you know, all people are created equal and they in, in, have these inalienable rights. Why? Because those rights were endowed by our creator. And uh, now, as Christians, we would say the reason human beings are valuable is why? Because they're made in the image of God. But actually, uh, this passage, I think, has even more to say about what is a human. And you might wonder, you know, how, okay, I just read all these instructions about the garments of the high priest in ancient Israel. What does that have to say about why human beings are valuable? Well, this passage I just read had a number of allusions to the creation story in the beginning of the Bible in Genesis 1 and 2. You may have heard even those final verses there in verse 43 where it says, and Moses saw all the work and behold, they had done it as the Lord had commanded, so had they done it and Moses blessed them. And if you know the creation story, it sounds a lot like the creation story where God, for six days, he was creating the earth. And then at the end, he looked at it and behold, it was very good. And all of his creatures, he blessed them. And so it's evoking the creation story. And even when I point it out to you, you hear that repetition, as the Lord commanded. You know, in the creation story, the Lord spoke the creation into existence. And then here, seven times is that phrase, and the Lord commanded. He spoke seven times. And so there's something like a new creation happening in this passage in Exodus 39. It all sounds like the creation story. Actually, there are subtle allusions as well to the Garden of Eden. Look at there at verse 6, how it says, They made the onyx stones enclosed in settings of gold filigree. That word for onyx stones only appears 11 times in the Old Testament. And 10 of those times are either in the tabernacle temple setting or in the Garden of Eden. In the Garden in Eden, there was both onyx and gold together. And uh, also, if you, if you read about what the, the Levites and the priests did in the tabernacle worship, it says in Numbers 3 that they, they would minister and guard the tabernacle. And what did Adam do in the Garden of Eden? Those same two words, to work and to keep. It's translated differently, but it's the same two words. Adam 
was like a Levite or priest. And so the tabernacle is a new Garden of Eden. The priests are like a new Adam. And so in these verses, there is a deep connection to God's original purposes for humanity. And so it has profound insights for us about what a human being is. And so when you and I meet a human, what is it? What is the human when you meet it? Well, I think three answers that I want to point out this morning from Exodus 39 is that a human is a temple, a human is a priest, and a human is a king. Three things, that a human is a temple, a human is a priest, and a human is a king. And it's just such pro- profound insight in an in a age, in a secular age, that has lost an understanding of what a human being is, the Bible gives us profound insight. So, three points this morning. The first is, a human is a temple. Now, the, the passage that I just read describing the garments for the high priest, um, uh, if you've been with us over the last few weeks, you'll recognize that a lot of the same materials that have been used to make the tabernacle itself are being used to make the garments of the high priest. So you look at those first few verses, verse 1. From the blue and purple and scarlet yarns, they made finely woven garments for ministering in the holy place. They made the holy garments for Aaron, as the Lord had commanded Moses. He made the ephod of gold, blue, and purple and scarlet yarns in fine twine linen. So the blue and scarlet yarns, fine twine linen, it's the same that the uh, uh, material is the curtains of the tabernacle itself. And inside the tabernacle, everything's gold. And then here, the high priest has gold on his garments. And so the high priest himself would have looked like a miniature tabernacle walking around. He looks like the tent itself, and he's walking around. I think this is somewhat preparing us for God's fulfillment of the tabernacle uh, later in the Bible that ultimately human beings are God's temple, not tents or buildings that are temples. So that's why the Apostle Paul, later in the Bible, in 1 Corinthians 6, he says, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? A human body, a human person, is meant to be a temple where God dwells in. That's why human bodies are precious. That's why they have dignity and value. That's what they were created for. It's supposed to be like, just like when the Israelites would come near the tabernacle and they would say, wow, I'm coming near to God and I'm coming near to God's presence. That's supposed to be what it's like when you come near a human being. That's what it's supposed to be like. And actually, just a a couple weeks ago, I was down at UW Medical Center. Uh, James Redhead is a member of our church. You all know he uh, he was having surgery on. uh, He was having a large tumor removed from his side and his rear end, and um, and I it was long surgery. I think it was like nine hours. And I for the first few hours, I was sitting in the waiting room with uh, Suzanne, his wife. And over those few hours, you know, she's just got lots of phone calls, people checking in, people saying. Uh, I'm praying for you. And uh, at, after I'd been there, I said, well, I'm, I have to head back to Bellingham. You know, I just asked her, how, how are you feeling? You're doing all right? And she said, I, I feel like God is with me because of all these phone calls that I've been getting. Just the voice of God's people said to her, you are in the presence of God and God is with you and is surrounding you. 
that is what a human being is supposed to do in the world. We're supposed to be the very presence of God. And so you think the tabernacle, you know, was just this tent there in the Middle East all those years ago. Instead, God says, no, I want to have a world filled with these temples that any time you meet a human being, it's like you've come near my place of worship and you've been with me and you felt that I am in your midst and I'm near to you. So the first question, what is a human being? A human being, a human body is meant to be a temple a dwelling place for God's very presence on earth, okay? So first, a human is a temple. The second is a human is a priest. And you'll notice that the the outer garment, the robe of, of the high priest had fruit on it. There in verse 22, it says, he also made the robe of the ephod woven all of blue, And the opening of the robe in it was like the opening in a garment with a binding around the opening so that it might not tear. On the hem of the robe, they made pomegranates of blue and purple and scarlet and fine twine linen. They also made bells of pure gold and put the bells between the pomegranates all around the hem of the robe between the pomegranates. So there's fruit on the outside of the the body of this priest. And so a human being is meant to be a priest whose body is adorned with fruit. And when we hear about fruit, we should immediately think, where else does the Bible talk about fruit? About being fruitful. In a couple places you think about, as the Garden of Eden, there's fruit. In the the creation story, there's fruit. But later in the Bible, it talks about that our, our, our lives should be fruitful as well. Well, uh, there's a great Eastern Orthodox theologian named Alexander Schmemann who wrote a book called For the Life of the World where he talks about how human beings, being human is fundamentally about being a priest. And this is what he says. He says, the first, the basic definition of man is that he is the priest. He stands at the center of the world and unifies it in his act of blessing God of both receiving the world from God and offering it to God. Now, I love this picture that he has, is that being a human being is that God gives us this creation. We take the creation, we transform the creation, and then we offer it back to God, transformed in thanksgiving to him. And what he says, what Ashmaman says is that, you know, God in the creation story, he made this world and it was filled with fruit trees for food for us. And what our bodies are supposed to do is we take the fruit and we eat the fruit, and then it becomes our body, and then we transform the fruit into spiritual fruit that we offer back to God uh, with our bodies. And so everything we do as humans is an offering to God, is a priestly act. Now again, the New Testament, just like it took the temple language, it takes both the language of clothing, garments, like the high priest garments, and fruit, and uses them in the Christian life. So for example, Galatians 3 says this, For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. That language for put on is put on a garment. It's put on a priestly garment. That's what happens when we're baptized. And then what is is that garment? Well, Colossians 3 puts it this way. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. What do you put on? What's the garment you put on? Compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. 
all these character qualities, again, Paul calls fruit. In, in Galatians 5, he says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And so the Bible says that our bodies should be wearing this fruit, this sweetness of gentleness and love, you know, and, and that we take the fruit of the creation, our body transforms it into spiritual fruit that we offer back to God. And, um, and so when we think of human life through this priestly lens, then everything we do is an offering to God. So if you're an, a nurse and your body is used to, to gently and lovingly care for the people in your charge, or if you're a carpenter and your body is used to fix people's houses and be helpful to them, or you know, if you're a grandparent and your body is used to play with little children, or if, uh, if you're a student and you attentively and patiently you know, listen to your teacher and follow them, what you're doing, all of those things are priestly acts where you are offering your body back to God and giving him the fruit. That's a body that's adorned with pomegranates. That's what the imagery means. And at the end of the day, everything we do is a priestly act to God. And that's what it means to be a human being. So what is a human? This is God's original purposes. First, there were a temple. This is the dwelling place of God on earth where when people come near the human being, they would be coming near to God. Second is a priest who takes the world as a gift of, and receives it and offers it back to God because we're thankful to him. The last thing we see in this passage is that a human is a king. And again, this goes back to the creation story where it says that humans were called to take dominion over the earth. We read Psalm 8, which says that as well uh, earlier in the service. And that God is the great king over his whole creation, but he makes all these little sub-kings and queens who each get a little piece of the creation that they get to be king or queen over. And, uh, and the Bible in several places brings together the idea of a priest and a king. Actually, when the Old Testament says that the Messiah was going to come in Psalm 110, Messiah would sit at God's right hand until, you know, and defeat all of his enemies. So he's this great king, but he'll also be a priest of the order of Melchizedek. So that's why when Jesus came, he was a priest king. And it says about all Christians that we are a royal priesthood. Again, bringing together king and priest. And you can see in this passage that the high priest was a servant in a royal court. So he's wearing purple and, uh, you know, scarlet like these this royal, uh, um, royal attire, and he had this breast piece where he represented all the people of Israel. That's what a king does, is he represents the people, and a priest represents the people. And then you see in verse 30 that it says, they made the plate of the holy crown of pure gold and wrote on it an inscription like the engraving of a signet holy to the Lord. De holy means to be devoted to the Lord. So the high priest also wore a crown. He's a priest king. He's a picture for us of what humanity is meant to be. And so what is a human? I just want you to feel the difference between this, but in a secular world that basically says, you know, we're evolved animals, that really all you are is a bag of juices and atoms that, that by chance appeared here. And the meaning of your life, who knows what it is? Versus the biblical vision 
that you are a temple, the very dwelling place of God on earth. You are a priest that receives the whole creation, transforms it, and offers it back in thanksgiving to God. And you are a king in the earth to have some little piece of the creation that you act as, you bring God's good rule to. And the problem is, of course, that we are temples that have been defiled by sin. And is the Holy Spirit going to come dwell in a temple that is defiled by sin? And we are priests, on the other hand, who have not received God's creation with thanksgiving. Instead of thanking God for his creation, we worship his creation. And we make the, the, the different areas of the creation our God. And instead of filling our life with the fruit of the Spirit, we fill our life with the works of the flesh. And we're not kings who represent and serve others. We're kings who serve ourselves. And so something is terribly broken in humanity And so when we ask, what is wrong with the world? The answer is that we have lost our original calling as temples, priests, and kings for God. And so how is this vision of humanity ultimately restored? Well, the Christian claim is that Jesus, the Son of God, has come as the true human. He's the only human in history who has perfectly been the temple, the priest, and the king. He is the ultimate temple. He is God come and dwell among us in human form. When you meet him, you are literally meeting God. He's the true high priest who didn't just offer animals on the altar before God, but he offered his own blood on the cross as the ultimate sacrifice once for all for sins. And his blood is applied to our bodies through baptism so that our bodies again can be pure and holy so that the Holy Spirit can come and dwell among us. And he's the true king of the world who's been given all authority in heaven and earth. And when we become his followers, he restores to us this purpose that we bring God's good rule to his creation. And only when we believe in him are we restored. And so that means that no matter how broken any human life is, in Jesus we believe it can be restored as a temple priest and king. And so for us, Every life is precious, both because of God's original purpose in the creation, but also because of what human life can become in Jesus, who is the true human.